There was a scientist on the radio this morning. He said that it'll get a lot hotter more each day now that we're moving so close to the sun. And that's why we're... That's why... The word that Mrs. Bronson is unable to put into the hot, still, sodden air is doomed. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And Rod, what are you doing? Why are you getting so eager to be in the front of the episode? It's being doomed, <laughs> you know? I just I, I just I couldn't help but he he had to finish the sentence, so we had to have him in front. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm excited this week. Uh a much brighter episode than last <laughs> week. Get it? Yeah. Uh so did you I don't know if you saw what I was posting on the Facebook page. We actually have some relevant news uh, to tie into last week. Uh, there was a story about a, um, a 95 year old, uh, SS guard that got extradited from the U S to Germany as of this week. So he was the last, he was the last, uh, Nazi war criminal on the books in the U S to be dealt with. So think about that's crazy. Like I was reading the story about him and I guess he lied about his involvement in one of the camps and became, you know, came over, became a citizen. And he told people like 10, 15 years ago, like what happened and so the U.S. was trying to extradite him, and like none of the countries would take him. And so he just sure. kind of sat in limbo. But finally, the they forced Germany to take him back to face trial. So that's it's a weird thing to have happen. Like that's still relevant to the story that we just talked about. Yeah, yeah, it's still ongoing. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I say brighter, but this episode is definitely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we we've had a spell of depressing episodes recently. Yes, and it d- does not seem to let up here. So yes, uh, <laughs> this is is the Midnight Sun season three episode ten air date eleven seventeen sixty one number one film West Side Story number one song Big Bad John by Jimmy Dean and the Sausage Band. That's not really the, the full name. I got really confused for a second. <laughs> I was about to look that up. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, not yeah, for yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, so on this date, the first successful launch from an underground missile silo was achieved by the United States with a Minuteman class, uh, missile being sent up, uh, being sent up from Cape Cod, not Cape Cod, Cape Canaveral, Florida, way different location. So this was an ICBM. These, these were developed mainly for intercepting, uh, warheads. So, um, it's not necessarily pertinent to the episode, but it kind of is in the sense of the U.S. ramping up its defense of possible global destruction. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The the end of the world is still imminent at this time, and it's on people's mind. And this is yet another episode that deals with the end of civilization. Yeah, 
So, yeah, this is good. so it kind of ties in. I thought you were going to say they were shooting a rocket into the sun to reignite <laughs> it, like that uh, like, Danny Boyle like, film, yeah, like <laughs> Sunshine. Sunshine. Oh, that's that's a good pull. That's a, that's a really good movie. Um, and it also there, there's a lot that has in common with the sense of like the sun's a bastard. So yeah, that's uh, a that's yeah, we'll that sunroom looked intense in that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, there was another film I was going to bring up later, but that's a really good one to bring up is Sunshine. So that's that's a that's a really good analog for smartly written sci-fi that was uh, you know now. Uh, and I'm not saying this isn't it's not smartly written. I question some of the sudden and savage mechanics of how this works. <laughs> But we'll get there when we get there. So, yeah, let's get the cast and crew. Yeah, so this episode is directed by Anton Leder, who we previously discussed in the great episode Long Live Walter Jameson, uh, which we were both quite fond of, Mm -hmm. especially the effects in that and some of the the direction. I, I remember discussing some of the shots and everything. Um, So that's his return, and this is the last time he worked with Serling on The Twilight Zone, so... Uh, let's say goodbye to Anton. <laughs> that's, that's a bummer because both of the both this episode and Long Live Walter Jameson were uniquely effects heavy at points. Yeah, and it's like that. I feel like he handled both of those well, so I'm surprised that he wasn't around for more. Yeah, and not to tip my hat too much, but I like both of these episodes he directed. Yeah, so I, I would have liked to see him go on to do some other stuff, but uh, so it is. So next up, we have this is written by Rod Serling. Um, the, he wrote the teleplay and then ended up rewriting it for the new stories in the Twilight Zone, uh, the novel we've discussed a few times on the show. He kind of went a little bit further with the characters that are in this story. Hmm. Yep. And then uh, I'll mention music by Van Cleave, who we've discussed previously on the show. I, I would have to assume he did the music for Elegy, What You Need, for a chance to dream, world of difference. Yeah, uh, this season two, uh, he he's done he did did a ton after this as mm-hmm. well. But I was a big fan of the music in this episode, and uh, we'll discuss it as we're going through the story as well. But I want to bring him up. But yeah, he I was I was kind of looking into him because uh, it was a it was a strange name. Uh, his name was Nathan Lang Van Cleve. Mm-hmm. But one interesting thing about him, he was a film composer that really brought theremins into sci-fi music Yeah, for the soundtracks. Yeah. Yeah. You... So he was kind of the pioneer of that whole thing. And that's, you know, when somebody's talking about like 1950s sci-fi or anything, even into today, you kind of mimic that theremin sound that is unofficially credited to this composer. Yeah. I mean, he, he shaped uh, the way people approach this type of uh, medium and, and, and you're right. It's, uh, it's one of those things that you don't think about, but it's always there. So yeah, his, the music in this is really good. Yeah. So the cast, we have, uh, uh, Luis, Nel- yeah, Luis Nettleton who plays Norma. Uh, this was her only twilight zone episode, but she was also in one episode of the night gallery. She had a lot of work, a lot of TV work, um, some smaller roles in movies, never really had a huge breakout role. Um, but I was I was a big fan of her in this one. Yeah, uh, and so she was in an episode of Seinfeld, so that, that feels relevant just because Seinfeld is still kind of iconic. Uh, she was in an episode of Baywatch Nights. That's not relevant, but I wanted to bring that up. Uh, and yeah, also- she had an interesting character name in that that really uh- – as I was scrolling through, I caught it. I'll try and bring it up here. Yeah, I didn't write it going. down. I just saw Baywatch Nights. So I'm like, check, you know. And then I also yeah, she she her character's name was Bad. Bl- oh no, that's the episode title. Never mind. It's called Bad Blades. 
Oh, that would have been great if that was her name. I thought that was the character name, and I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, she had to have been at least, like, 70 when that... (laughs) No one messes with Gamma Blades. That's, you know, that's what happens. So she also had a small voice role in the 1990 Spider-Man cartoon that was on Fox. So I just wanted to mention that because that cartoon was awesome. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And like, so I was reading about her and so she was in a position with the Twilight Zone here that she was being offered some parts that were kind of smaller that she felt that her um, ability was like above, but she also was being uh, like, but she wasn't being offered like the biggest roles. So she was in this weird spot where she was up and coming and was saying no to like bit parts, but then she still wasn't being offered the biggest roles. So she was still trying to fight for her, her place, you know, um, as a performer. So I respect that. Like this was a good showcase for her, but you're right. She didn't, there wasn't that elevation, but she was aware of her place at the time, accepting this role. Yeah. Well, she was in that uh, Wes Craven movie, Deadly Blessing. Deadly Blessing. Uh, it's it's the uh, one with the Amish, uh, with Ernest Borgnine. I haven't seen that. I was thinking of Deadly Friend. That's also a Wes Craven film, isn't it? Yeah. 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 No, this is the one with the Amish uh, oh, people. I've not seen that one. Yeah. Um, check it out. It's it's not the best, but <laughs> it's it's a bizarre you, one. You've already told me Wes Craven, Amish, Borgnine. I don't know why I've not seen this <laughs> film already. Yeah, 1981. Hmm. Um, but it, yeah, and her performance in this is is awesome. It's it's very strong for a female role in 1961. So I, I'm I'm not surprised that she was picky going on from there because it's that that was definitely a high point I'm sure for her career. Yeah, and it was also kind of weird because it's, it's black and white, you know, film that they shot this on. But you could tell that her eyes were like a very striking light color. You know, and it's like that. I don't think eyes always translate well with black and white, but her, like, she was very, a, a very pretty and very attractive. Like, not that that is the reason why she was like cast, but like, I was, I, I watched this a few times. I just kept like, her eyes are real pretty. Even like, it is just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't even tell what color they were, but they were wonderful. So that's just me, like, you know, falling in love with someone 50 years previously. Kind of like, <laughs> Christ, like, like uh, Christopher Reeve in uh, time, you know, what was it? Um, a bid time farewell <laughs> or, or somewhere in time. I'm just, I'm falling in love with her back then. So I'm going to go back and say hi and then not, and then be awkward about it. So anyway, enough, enough about that. That's, that's me revealing too much about myself. Yeah. Well, you already beat me to the punch because, uh, I was going to say the same thing. She was, uh, <laughs> well, thank you she is my twilight me. zone crush so far. Cause yeah. she is awesome. Yeah. Like not only for her performance, but yeah, she, like she very pretty. I, yeah. I think it ties in cause she carries herself. She's a very strong character Absolutely. and everything. And it, it just all ties together. It's just very likable in this episode. And like you said, very striking. So uh, one of my favorites. I thought definitely. you were going to say Betty Gard was your was your crush. <laughs> 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 She's fine. She's fine. I just, I just you know, the, the, other, the other lead in this episode. Yeah. So uh, I guess I'll use that as a nice segue. Next up, we have Betty Gard, who plays Mrs. Bronson who I believe we previously talked about in Odyssey of Flight 33. I think she, she was, was one the of the one, passengers. I think she was the one that was chewing off the ear of the French pilot, like the French yeah, guy. Yeah, that's yeah. when I was looking up, she was like the first build passenger on the plane, and that's what popped into my head. So I'm pretty sure we discussed her on there. Um, so definitely go back and check out that episode. Um, 100% more dinosaurs in that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Next up, we have Tom Reese, who plays the intruder. 
This was his only Twilight Zone appearance. I couldn't didn't really catch much I was too familiar with on his filmography, but a ton of TV work for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, I have here that uh, he was a sheriff in Vanishing Point. Um, and then, um, how did I miss that? I love vanishing point. And, uh, he was, and so, and back to back, this was how it was listed on IMDb and an episode of a series called lawman. And then the very next thing was an episode of outlaws. So he was in lawman and then outlaws. So I just wonder if he was playing both sides there. I like to think that, you know what? I know what it means to be on one side of the law. Now I'm an outlaw. And I just feel like he's now a rounded actor because of that. Yeah, <laughs> it's a dumb joke, but I just enjoyed like it was like you literally went from law. Sorry, to I just I totally no soldier on that joke. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's fine. It wasn't a very good move to begin with. I just thought that was entertaining. So, yeah. But yeah, Sorry, I, sip, point. I was sipping my beer, so I couldn't really react. <laughs> Is that is that the, what's always going on? I'm sorry, Paul. I was drinking the entire time. That's why I couldn't react to the joke. You know. um, if that was the case, you'd be pickled by now. So anyway, continue. Yeah. <laughs> Next up, we have Jason Wingreen, who plays Mr. Schuster. Uh, we talked about him previously all the way back in the episode of Stop at Willoughby. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about him probably one other Twilight Zone in the future. And we have Junie Ellis, who plays Mrs. Schuster. And she was in What You Need, yeah. um, also scored by Van Cleve. Second time that's come up tonight. Weird. Uh, and then lastly, the uh, only other person I wrote down was William Keene, who plays the doctor. He was the desk clerk at the hotel in the Prime Mover. Yeah, which if I did not mention at that time, he was in an episode of Johnny Midnight. I have to mention that. Um, <laughs> which I wrote down as well. <laughs> uh, Robert Stevenson was the radio announcer that we'll get to in a second. Um, first of two Twilight Zone appearances, so I guess this counts as one of them. Also an episode of Johnny Midnight. And... There was two other actors that were cast, and there was footage shot. Um, I just want to mention just because they were actually in the episode, but you didn't see it. Yeah, which screwed me up. Um, when I saw those uh, <laughs> those characters listed for this episode, I thought I completely zoned out on part of the episode. <laughs> it was frantically flipping through the video of the episode trying to find the, the, the fridge repairman. <laughs> Yeah, so the, the, there's actually trivia about the both of these both of these roles. We'll get to that when we get done talking about the episode. But Ned Glass was the fridge repairman that you did not see. This would have been his second Twilight Zone appearance. He was also the pawn shop uh, owner or someone in the pawn shop in A Passage for Trumpet. Um, and then uh, John McLeam, who was a cop, who you not did not see in this episode, it would have been his second of four Twilight Zone appearances. He was credited as man in the shelter. So he was one of the the mob, uh, you know, the, with the, the rest of the people in the neighborhood. So, yeah. I, uh, but it's important I bring them up because it actually ties to some of the trivia about the episode. So I just wanted to give them their due for what little there is. So Cool. All right. So let, uh, let's let Serling take it away and we'll jump into the story here. The word that Mrs. Bronson is unable to put into the hot, still, sodden air is doomed. Because the people you've just seen have been handed a death sentence. One month ago, the Earth suddenly changed its elliptical orbit, and in doing so, began to follow a path which gradually, moment by moment, day by day, took it closer to the sun. And all of man's little devices to stir up the air are now no longer luxuries. They happen to be pitiful and panicky keys to survival. The time is five minutes to twelve, midnight. There is no more darkness. The place is New York City, and this is the eve of the end. Because even at midnight, it's high noon, the hottest day in history, and you're about to spend it in the Twilight Zone. 
Yeah. So there you go, Shirley. You got to finish what you were saying at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, and you can hear some of that amazing score in this episode from yeah. uh, Van Cleve in there. Uh, just very droney, uh, very tense, atmospheric uh, score to this. And it, there's kind of this uh, this noise in the background of the score that reminds me of the, you know, the scorching sun noise mm-hmm. from films that's always playing. You know, <laughs> I, I don't know what that sound is. It's like it's like a sizzling kind of crackling a little bit like it's uh, un, you know uncomfortable whenever you Yeah, see but it's it, like yeah. that high pitched yeah. weird sun noise that they do. <laughs> the There's noise. almost that going on. I don't know. Yeah, no, no. That's <laughs> the right way to describe it. Like listening to that divided like uh, taken away from Serling's uh, intro, it feels like that restless listless like like you know slow desert like you would almost hear this in a western, you know, like it, it's very um very ominous, but also just very, it, it just, I don't know. It's, it's listless is the word I want to use over and over again to describe a lot of that and this episode. Yeah. But it, it never lets up either. No. So it, it kind of goes in with a lot of the camera work in this too, where it just makes you a little bit claustrophobic and a little bit, uh, I, I don't know, just hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> this feels like this would have been an, um, Oh, um, Oh, the Eastwood film that uh, that that you had me watch, um, shoot, High Plains Drifter. I feel like that would have oh, been the kind yeah. of music with him showing up, and, and, and actually, the intro to that actually has that similar sound you're talking about of him in the distance coming towards the town. So yeah, that's that's what I get. That's the vibe I get. Yeah, that's that's a great call. Uh, but I was a big fan of the music, so I just wanted to point it yeah. out since we could actually hear it there. Yeah. So uh, it starts off with. Um, with uh, the main character, um, her name Norma, uh, she's painting and she's it's hot and sweaty and she and she's looking directly at the sun. I don't know why you're doing that, but you know she's looking at the sun like for reference. But it's like it's the sun. I don't know how much reference you need, but she's painting this really even with the black and white. It's a very striking image of the sun over the the, the city skyline of New York. Um, but she keeps looking at it. She's sweating. And that, you know, and you see like, um, the thermometer is like 110 degrees and from the, from the jump, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, fun little fact about this episode, (laughs) they were spritzing the actors with water just to keep them looking sweaty like that. But apparently, uh, Anton leader throughout the episode was turning the thermostat in the studio up higher and higher yes to actually make them uncomfortable so that doesn't explain all the other twilight zone episodes where people were sweaty like uh, that's my (laughs) (laughs) like were they sweaty because of this they were on a set that had no air conditioning which is the case in this um or and they're also shooting it during the summer which probably was real easy to raise the temperature where they're at yeah or is it just because it's like you know what like we just need to spritz them we need we need some glisten but yeah this uh yeah, I, I, credit to him to making the the actors uncomfortable because that's kind of the point. So yeah, you it definitely it comes across through almost every single frame in this episode. Yeah, so she gets up from painting, goes over to the fridge, and goes to get some water, and she pours a very tiny bit into a glass and puts the rest back in. So you see that they're conserving it, and she hears a noise coming from the door. She goes over there, opens it. There's a little girl standing there. So the kid's looking at her water. There's a there's a funny reaction shot of the kid looking at the glass of water and uh, 
kind of making a face like I want that water. <laughs> so that little girl was picked because of her pleading face is how they described it. Like was it pleading or pleading. was it terrifying and demanding? <laughs> yes. Both of those, but they <laughs> okay. in, in quotes, she had a pleading face and like, yeah, like, uh, definitely or terrifying and demanding also works as well but i like that she was cast <laughs> because she had that face of just like oh you you just want this and i just feel bad like i <laughs> so she tries to offer the girl the water and then um the the parents come down the steps um and tell her don't take her water and then uh norm was like no there's plenty and the guy's like no there's not like he's just trying he's just being matter of fact and that's when you start to realize like things are not like you know things are not good for humanity in general at this point yeah, we get, we get we've seen it a lot within the Twilight Zone, just little bits of exposition being sprinkled in cuz the Schusters, the family that comes down, they're talking about how they're going to leave the city. They heard that it's a little bit cooler up in Canada, so they're going to go up to Toronto. And Norma or uh, Mrs. Bronson the landlord, one of them's talking about how there's bumper to bumper traffic on freeways, there's a gas shortage and everything. Um so they're worried about them making it, but they make a go of it. They end up leaving anyway. Yeah. And then you find out it's uh, near midnight actually at that point and that the sun's not letting up. And uh, that's whenever you have uh, um, uh, Mrs. Bronson make the, the comment about how, you know, she's about to say the word doomed. And that's whenever uh, Sterling steps in to complete the sentence, which by the way, he is not sweaty looking at all. And he's wearing a suit coat. I don't understand. This was your opportunity to really have him be part of this and just be, you know, like soaked. And he's he's like, you're not spraying me with that water. <laughs> you're not spraying me with that water. It's going to put out my cigarette. I got to keep going, you know? Like, uh, but yeah, he just, he sets well, the It kind of gives a thing because he's not, he can come and go from the Twilight Zone as he pleases. But in the same so. episode, he wore like, you know, like a, a bigger coat and earmuffs and a scarf. And then in, it was will the real Martian please stand up? He was out in the snow wearing snow gear. Like he dresses appropriately for the season until now. Like so, he is as much as an observer. He should dress appropriately. I want to see him in like a wife beater and like you know, like I don't know, like just stripped <laughs> down and just hot, like just like and then not even finishing the intro. I'm like it's even too it's it's too hot to even tell you what's going on. I'm out. You know, like I would have been, it wouldn't have happened, but it would have been amazing. Yeah, I like his intro though. I'm I glad do. he finished it. <laughs> <laughs> but how great would that have been? He would have just been like, "It's it's too hot to talk now. I'm gone," and just walks off screen. That would have been like I think it would have like completely upset the episode. But I, that's what I want. But yeah, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> me and my want of Serling dramatic intros like that's never going to change. Yeah, so we cut to Norma coming back from the grocery store, and um, she has a whole line that she could only grab one bag. And uh, I was I was really hoping that she'd pull out a thing of canned chicken, uh, but it was just canned vet, or canned fruit or something. Yeah, but she also said this is the first time in my life that I was sorry that I was born a woman because she couldn't bring enough back from the grocery store. Um, that is like it's one of those lines. It's like I don't think that aged very well, but you know. But it explains like the one bag of groceries, and then she um, says she got three cans of fruit juice. So I don't know if uh, if you're drinking fruit juice right now and just that refreshing fruit juice, um, that refreshing grapefruit juice that you find out that she bought or bought, not stole or taken, uh, looted, I guess is the right word. She describes the scene in the supermarket um, to uh, Mrs. Bronson 
And well, Mrs. Bronson kind of scrambles trying to get one of the cans yes. of uh, yeah. fruit. She's trying to open it really quickly, and she ends up dropping it, and she apologizes for acting like an animal. And Norma's very understanding, and she's just like, no, you're acting you're acting like a scared uh, person. You know, like you're fine. And uh, so she discusses how the whole supermarket, everyone was losing their minds. And as much as Norma felt like an animal trying to scramble and grab food, she said she was the most civilized one in there and uh, describes a a lady standing in the middle of the grocery store, just crying at one point. Yeah. And asking for help. And I also wrote my notes, God damn it, Mrs. Bronson, don't drop that can. I, uh, I just wanted to write because like, you don't, you know, at this point, I'm sure grapefruit juice is a commodity. Don't drop it. You know? So I just, I'm, you know, she shouldn't have done that. But yeah, the whole description from Norma about the supermarket is like something, it feels like something like out of the Fallout universe of games where people are just like scrambling for things and she is like trying to patiently put things in the bag and someone's just weeping openly and everybody else is acting like animals. Like that is, and she says it so matter of factly and also kind of dismissively like, oh, well, I was at the market and all hell broke loose, whatever, but I got juice. Like, yeah, it, she it, she yeah. is so calm this entire episode, <laughs> she, and I, I love yeah. it, though. She undersold the pure terror that moment would be, you know? But, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah go ahead. Do you think Mrs. Bronson was married to Charles Bronson from 2, <laughs> and they just got separated, and he's wandering the streets? Um, I believe that the person that we meet later should have been Bronson from 2, from the way he was dressed. So, that that's a... Uh, with uh, with the suit coat and whatever that is tied around his neck, so yeah, I, we got to talk about that <laughs> that outfit choice in 110 degree weather I, when we get there. That's why, like, uh, I I wondered if she was like son and she forgot what he looked like. That was like I was I, I, <laughs> so good good question. I was thinking about it as well while watching the episode. Yeah. Um. So at, after that whole uh, conversation they have, there's a news broadcast on the radio. And they're basically saying, lock your doors, protect yourself. People are looting. People are coming in to take things. Um, And he starts going into the forecast tomorrow, and he just says it's going to be hot. And then immediately turns and says, what's the point of even doing this and everything? And starts, and you can tell he's having an argument with somebody off the, uh, in the studio and everything. And he just kind of loses it on air. Well, because you find out, like, and we, we kind of skipped over this when uh, Mr. Schuster was talking, like, about going to Toronto, and uh, Miss Bronson was talking about the radio saying, like, it's going to be hotter each day. So they, they you, you get the idea that this has been going on for about, what, three weeks that the Earth got kicked off its axis and is, like, going towards the sun. I guess at an astronomical rate of speed, by the way. That's the part that, like, I understand that it's 1961 and they wrote this. But it's like it's like they found out three weeks ago, like, oh, the Earth isn't rotating around the sun anymore. It's heading directly for it. And each day it's getting hotter. It's it's a decent enough science fiction conceit. But it's like now knowing how far away we are from the Earth or from the sun, it's like, wow, that progressed really fast in the matter of three weeks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, but and also the notion that there would still be radio broadcasts and like semblance of civility which i know they hint at in the episode like society hasn't broken down as fast as you think it actually would in a situation like this you know like so it is crazy to think that the earth was going to plummet into the sun within a matter of like four weeks 
but this is what's going on in this this uh, this episode and it's getting hotter each day and there's various ways to react to it and these two people in these this apartment complex have kind of just chosen to accept their fate and others are trying to like head north I, I don't know if it's a matter of a day or two i don't know if that's really worth it yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I like it, though, because it kind of explores something that we've seen with the whole mob mentality or people reacting to imminent doom like this. Um, you brought up uh, Shelter, which is very similar to this, where um, it's, it's a bunch of people turning on each other. Um, two was similar. It's kind of the end of the world, and it's people trying to hold on to their humanity. Mm-hmm. Um Monsters are due on Maple Street. People in a crisis situation turning on each other. Like it's it's always people battling others that have lost their humanity. Whereas this is a very introspective look at people holding on to their humanity rather than losing it. Um, so it was a nice change of pace dealing with something that we've seen multiple times in this series. Yeah, no, I agree with that. It's more about like you know, like what do you have left? You have your routine yeah. and you have, you know, you have your civility and that's, and with Norma painting all the time, it's like, you could tell that this is what she actually did. It's like, you almost get the idea. This is what she did professionally. Cause her paintings were, were quite nice. And yeah. that's what she's going to keep doing until, until it's over, you know? So, yeah, but it, it's very easy to draw the comparison between this and the shelter. But I actually think this is a fantastic companion piece to two at the beginning of the season. Yeah, uh, this uh, that would be a great double feature of episodes to show to someone. Yeah, so, um, so then they they start drinking the grapefruit juice, which this is this has to be room temperature, if not hotter, grapefruit juice, which sounds disgusting yeah. to me. Grapefruit juice, no matter what conditions pre- presented in, is disgusting. Uh, I I kind of like it, but warm <laughs> grapefruit juice does not sound fun. Is there is there a grapefruit juice? Um, uh, like sparkling water out there that you enjoy? Is there is that one of those things? There is. Uh, it, it's. Uh, I don't know how Lacroix pronounces it. Pamplemousse or pamplemousse? <laughs> that's the that's their grapefruit flavor. That sounds like that's disgusting, and it would also get in my eye. I feel like that's like <laughs> I'd open the can and hit me in the eye and be like, "This is terrible!" And I'd just throw it away immediately. So, and I'd go looking for chicken in a can. That's what would happen. Yeah. Um, my my wife hates grapefruit, so I. I rarely buy anything grapefruit, but I actually do like it. So, no, 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 no. Um, so sorry. I I hope we can still do the show. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, this has been strange highways. We've been divided over grapefruit juice. All right, guys, good luck. Enjoy the rest of the series. Uh, no. Um, so after they drink the grapefruit juice, um, Mrs. Bronson is looking at the painting that, um, that Norma made. And also, sorry, right before that, the power goes out. Like it just, it browns out. The radio shuts down. The fan stops moving. And then um, Mrs. Bronson's like, well, they told me that, you know, that well, I've heard that the power is going to be stopping, you know, randomly or ever so often until the end. And then she asks the question of like, what if it never comes back on? Um, which is a very, very important question and very haunting question because just, just was it about a week and a half ago, I, I had come home after a Saturday of being outside and sweating and running around and almost being sunburnt to a home without power until one in the morning. And I can relate to this moment of like, I don't know if the power's ever coming back on again. I just <laughs> want to feel a fan on my face, you know? And, 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 and my apartment was not going towards the sun, you know, <laughs> like, but it was like that moment of this. I'm, I'm convinced your apartment might be the sun. 
it's we don't have central air and it's an old house so i'm at the mercy of of what happens right so but it was just i it was so it was it wasn't the hottest it's been in, in the summer while you know being where we live but it was one of those things where the wind wasn't really moving and it was so it was hot enough and listless enough that's a word i'm going to use again that i that I couldn't sleep as much as I was exhausted. I couldn't sleep. So I was just sitting in my easy chair waiting for sleep to happen. And it wasn't coming, <laughs> you know, and, it was, and I couldn't think cause there's no internet, which is the biggest thing. Like they don't even know here. They don't even know the joys and how connected we are to the internet in like 1961. They don't even know. I had nothing to do in the dark except sit there and sweat and just hope that the power comes back on. I was miserable. So what I was going through was like, you know, one one hundredth of what these people are experiencing, <laughs> but it came back like so fast while watching the episode. You, uh, you knock some grapefruit juice out of your wife's stand. <laughs> First five minutes turned into a complete we, animal. We still like, had the power's never coming back on. <laughs> we had, we had an excess of Capri sun from the event that day. So I did have some Capri sun that was not grapefruit juice, but it was one of those things where You're just hoarding them in the studio. <laughs> yeah, just, Nobody's I, getting my Capri suns. Yeah. I'm just keeping them, you know, because suddenly fruit juice and water has become, uh, has become the new economy in my apartment shared with me, my wife and two cats. And, you know, if they want any of it, they got to pay. That's what happened. <laughs> and a fun fact about cats is they love Capri Sun. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty savage there for a minute until the until the power came back on. Uh, but yeah, like but it was like I went from like what, like six or seven in the evening to one in the morning. Like it was like, what do you do? in that time i don't know what you do because there's no light like we had candles but why would you like light a candle because it's just going to make things hotter you know like what would like what would you do in the meantime to pass time last time the power went out for like a day the power in the four years we've been at this house we've never had the power go out uh knock on wood it's it's crazy uh my neighbor's power has been out mine has never gone out but um where i was before the power was out for like a day and I opened a beer and I put the Repo Man soundtrack on tape into my tape player. And I sat on the porch and drank beer and listened to the, the Iggy Pop on the Repo Man soundtrack. Well, I feel like at so least that's what I did. You could go out on your porch. I live in a part of Cleveland where going outside at nighttime is probably, you know, there's probably better decisions to make. And it's, I'm not saying that I was not unsafe, but it's like I'm in a stretch of area that had no power. Best to stay inside. Uh, and yeah, so yeah. like the only thing I had as a saving grace was that my iPad actually has its own data plan because I make poor decisions and I watched like 45 minutes of like castle rock. And then I was like, I couldn't even pay attention to that. So I'm just like, I don't know. It was one of those things where I'm like, I could internet, but what would I do? Like, I just couldn't, I couldn't focus and it was terrible. And it, it, it completely related to these, these two characters where it's like, you can't even think straight. Like, and then the moment the power goes out for the day, like, the, but I guess at least if the sun, if you're getting close to the sun, I guess you could at least read a book because like the, 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 the sun's not going away. I mean, at least they had that comfort. I did not have that comfort. So they were in a much better situation than I was for six hours. <laughs> I, <laughs> so glad they could read a book yeah. as they burn up in the sun. <laughs> yeah, that's the part you didn't see where they're trying to open a book and it just burst into flames. Like, I, <laughs> anyway, I just I just want to yeah, say that I have. I, I think I think most people just drink when the power goes out because 
uh, I think it was last year I was watching a movie and went to go take the dog outside. My neighbors were sitting in the backyard. Uh, it, it was starting to get dark out. They had some uh, tiki torches going. They were just sitting in the backyard drinking wine. I was like, oh, hey, guys. They're like, oh, is your power out? No. <laughs> <laughs> just finished a movie. <laughs> like what the heck? That's funny. So I I don't know. So yeah, I, yeah. Anyway, but it's one of those things where like, um, given the nature of what was going on that day, I just uh, drinking did not seem like a good option to me. So I because I like again I had been running around at a park all day, like and you were there and you saw how sweaty I was. Um, like the idea of drinking alcohol did not appeal to me. So I just sat there in a chair. I could see that. And um, just just considered life. I guess I don't know because <laughs> you ever get so tired that you don't fall considered asleep. ending life. <laughs> <laughs> you, you ever get so tired that you just you, that you can't sleep, but your brain still goes in really stupid places? That's where I was at that point. So, anyway, that's yeah. nothing related to this episode. Let me just—I can relate. So that—that's that's crazy. Say that yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she's panicking about it and uh, about the power going out, and she goes to Norma and she tells her, "Why don't you paint something cool?" Because yeah. all the paintings that are laying around are just paintings of the sun. And she's like, why don't you paint something cool? Just paint like a waterfall or something. There's something cooler than what you're painting. Um, and then she freaks out and takes the painting of the sun in the cityscape and throws it on the ground as kind of hitting it. And uh, that's that's the end of that scene. Well, what would be the cooler thing to, to paint outside of, outside of a waterfall? I put in my notes like like a dog on a with a hat on his head backwards riding a skateboard. Like, what would be the coolest thing that she could paint at that point? Like, like the hang in there cat poster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just something just super cool, like you know, or like or like a rollerblader with like sweet Oakleys on or something. That would that would be very cool. That's what I'm thinking that she should have painted. You know. As the waterfall. Everybody's seen a waterfall. Have you seen a rotor blader, a roller blader with Oakleys on? Yeah, maybe you haven't. You know. Anyway, and, the, like, and then she gets so angry at the painting, she throws it on the ground and she tries to punch it, but not so much yeah. as to damage the painting. And then we move on uh, to the next next act. So yeah, I, I was I wrote down next day in my note, but it's 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 always day now, so it's not really the next day. It's just <laughs> next time they wake up. So whatever. Yeah. Um, she Norma wakes up and goes over to the windowsill and she puts her hands down and immediately pulls them away. That's the part so that hurts. Hot. Oh, that like just thinking about that, just it, it it that hurts. Like the sill is so hot. Like that's a really 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 good visual indication of like how how dangerous it is to exist in this world. Yeah, because outside of the sweaty uh, characters, it, it's it's kind of hard to show physical heat without like just putting fire or something like that in there yeah um but they do a good job there's some really creative stuff in this episode uh starting from this point on um that they do so she goes over to mrs bronson's room and uh as they're as they're talking outside they hear something or mrs bronson hears something coming through the roof and the fire exit door yeah that she was so supposed to as, as you remember to. they said yeah. they were yeah she was supposed to lock it if you remember from the uh radio broadcast before so they run in back into norma's room and they hide behind the door you hear the footsteps come up and it checks the handle uh very tense scene and the guy says come on out out now um i i forget the exact line he says but it's uh it's actually pretty terrifying. Well, he's like, come on out, baby. Like, he's very, like, you know, he knows that there's women behind the door, and he just says something that's just really creepy. Yeah. 
Yeah, he says something like, I don't have time to wait around. Yeah. Or something like that. So it's some really creepy, gross implications there um, that I was not expecting out of this episode. Um, so Norma runs and grabs gun and she cocks it and or pulls the hammer back, whatever it is. Um, and she's like, you hear that? I have a gun. And he's like, all right, all right, I'm leaving. So credit to Norma. Um, another uh, talking about what a great character she is. After she thinks he leaves, she goes and checks the front door to make sure he actually left. Yeah. And then, and then she's like, oh, he's not out yet. And so then uh, Mrs. Bronson decides to open the door before Norma can yeah. confirm that he's left. So that was pretty smart. Yeah. So then we enter, uh, enter the intruder in full suit jacket and long pants. <laughs> uh, I immediately was angry with him for his clothing decisions. <laughs> it is at, probably at least 120, maybe hotter degrees yeah. outside and he is in a full suit well he's not like, wearing a shirt he's, he's just wearing like a like a, a jacket and like whatever it is around his neck which again yeah, he's still wearing a jacket and yeah. pants like yeah. take the jacket off and it maybe it maybe he looked like like bronson stunt double from two i don't know, like something yeah. about that and, and i was like oh he just he says he wants water but you know he just wants a can full of uh like drumsticks. That's really what he wants. <laughs> Just sucking down some canned chicken in 120 degree heat. Oh, you know, I'm sure it holds up well, but wash it down with the grapefruit juice. <laughs> oh, that's, that's probably the <laughs> finest meal that we'll ever talk about here. But yeah, he, he, he comes in, he wrestles the gun away uh, from Norma. And then, you know, he, it's that thing of like, he's being aggressive and he realizes what he's doing and he's trying to connect with them. And he's like, oh, you paint? He's looking at all the different pages. He's like, you paint real good. Like, like I like that yeah. statement. Yeah. He kind of switches. He starts talking about his wife. He's like, you know, my wife used to paint. He throws the gun away. And he talks about how his, his fragile wife and how she couldn't handle the heat. And then he reveals that they also lost their baby. Yeah. And he says something well. about like um, how she, they lost, they lost the baby and her within an hour of each other because of the heat. Um, yeah. And all he wanted was some water and he drank all their water. And then he's like, I'm sorry. And then he leaves. And that's pretty much, that's pretty much all he does is pretty much just like upset the apple cart in terms of like the water usage. But he, but it also shows the whole, like, like he just, he just what he says. He's, he wishes that it was just over. I think he says something like, why don't we just burn up? Like, why doesn't it just yeah. end? Like he is just so, he has so much loss and his survival instincts are kicking in. And that's making him make decisions that he doesn't want to make. And then he has that moment of rationality and humanity. And then he leaves. And you just know that it's only going to get worse again because he's going to want water one more time. And he's going to be doing these terrible things just to survive, which all people would be doing at this point. Yeah. But again, it's it's somebody who easily could have just been a monster that came in yeah. and upset everything. But he is still able to leave and being somewhat redeemed for his actions. You know, he calls himself a decent man and he's like, I wouldn't hurt you guys. I wouldn't hurt you. And he's like, I'm just going to leave. I'm sorry. You know? Um, but then at that point, um, this is, uh, Mrs. Bronson stands up and she's like, Oh, she notices that, uh, Norma actually painted the waterfall that she was talking about. And she says, you know, we could go swim in that waterfall. Like I did when I was a child, we could go swimming. And she goes to the window 
and is just letting the sunlight hit her, and she's pretending yeah. that the sunlight hitting her is the water and everything. And she's standing in the window too long, ends up ends up passing out and dies on the floor. Yeah. So, I mean, could you imagine how much awesome it would more awesome it would have been if it had been a rollerblader with Oakleys on? <laughs> like, she's like, we can go rollerblading. <laughs> like, no. Um, so, like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, very overly dramatic uh, death scene for yeah. her in this episode. Um, but you kind of get it, and it's like when she's touching the sill, and after it's been established that the sill is like super hot and painful, and I'm sure as the performance, she wasn't thinking about it, but just the idea that she's so far gone that she has not only her arms on the sill but her hands on the window while this is happening, I, it's probably not the intended effect, but it's horrific as she's like just like gone, mentally gone. And then, you know, she falls to the floor and is dead. Um, and then you have um, the next bit, which is one of the more interesting bits that we've seen in a, a Twilight Zone episode, just from an effects yeah. standpoint and storytelling standpoint. And a great way to visually get over the extreme heat yes. outside of, like, the thermometer shots and everything. Um, as, she's, as she's kneeling over Mrs. Bronson's body, she's looking up at her paintings, and they're all slowly starting to melt all yeah. the paints just running down the canvas very disturbing like I, I i grabbed a screenshot of it but it doesn't do it justice like it's just it's very like all of them are just melting and she's like looking at all her paintings and then she just screams and because like everything is just like you know that's it like we're done here and, yeah. yeah and it just seeing the cityscape just collapse like that yeah. in the painting that she was working on like uh pretty on the nose symbolism but it 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 is haunting to look at. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Uh, but then, then we get the twist in the episode, like a sudden, like smash cut to, uh, Mrs. Bronson, uh, putting newspaper into the, the, the edges of the windowsill because it's, it's snowy out and the, the temperature is like below zero. And then you find out that like, uh, Norma had had a fever and, um, the doctor was there to visit to make sure she was okay. And she was waking up. And, and you find out that, like, she had a dream, which we I didn't mention this earlier in the episode, but she calls out what's going on. I don't know if you picked that up. Uh, she calls out exactly what's happening before before anything really gets started with the episode. Um, yeah, she has she has a piece of dialogue earlier in the episode where she talks about how she had a dream that everything was okay and that she could hear the streets, the cars yeah. going by. She could hear everything. Uh, yeah. The way it was supposed to be. Yeah, she says, I keep getting this crazy thought that I'm going to wake up and none of this has happened. It will be night yeah. outside and there will be a cool wind. It's like watching this additional times, it's like, oh, wow, that's right in front this entire time. And then when you get to this point of you find out that she's waking up from this fever dream of the world falling into the sun to find out that the exact opposite is happening where it's been yeah. knocked off its axis. And it's now drifting away in that the earth is now going to freeze over in a matter of days. And the doctor's like, I'm sorry, I can't give her anything for what it's going on because, you know, frozen stuff. And then he tells uh, <laughs> he, he tells uh, Mrs. Bronson, he's like, we're heading to Miami. <laughs> it's like, yeah. so that, which is like the Toronto of the South, by the way. I just want to point I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I love the the second twist reveal here, though, because the, the first twist of her waking up, I, I groaned. Like, I audibly groaned. I was like, ah, oh, of course it was the dream thing. Um, but then the twist that they're still doomed, uh, the way they reveal it, where he's like, yeah, she should be okay. I wish I had something to give her. Um, just, you know, 
uh, supplies are running thin, and they slowly start revealing that the opposite is happening to what was happening in her dream the whole time. And it, it's so it unravels so nicely right at the end there that I was immediately brought back in <laughs> and so happy with the second twist in this episode. Would you say that you warmed up to the episode at the end? Is that what you, is that what you'd say? No, not really. Um, so like, but she ends up saying to, where's, Mr. That, where's that beer again? Hold on. <laughs> I, I, well, I'm, I'm drinking it right now. Uh, they, uh, and it's not grapefruit flavored. It is mango wheat, which I don't even know what that means, I, but it's, it's, it's okay. I'm, Mine is golden flavored. So, yeah. <laughs> golden, yeah, like the rays of the sun. Uh, but but Norma says to um, Mrs. Bronson, she's like, isn't it wonderful to have darkness and coolness? And Norma's just like, yeah, sure. Like, and she kind of like looks <laughs> off in the distance. It's like, you have no idea, Norma, what's about to happen. So, yeah, so the twist is, is that the opposite was going on the entire time, which uh, it, was this your first time watching the episode? Uh, no, I had watched it, I think I mentioned last time. This was one of the ones I remember watching when I was really young. Um, I Just some of the visuals, like the paint running, the thermometer exploding, and there's that really iconic shot of her screaming uh, before the thermometer explodes uh, that just kind of burned in my head. So I know I've seen it before, but I could not remember the twist for the life of me. Yeah, this is one of the ones I, I watched like four episodes trying when, when I originally like, you know, told you my idea for the show. This is one of the ones I watched. So like I already like it was it was hard to put myself back in the mindset of not knowing what was about to happen. So whenever she mentions earlier in the episode that she had, you know, she had a dream or a notion that this, she's going to wake up, it, it put a light bulb in my head of like, oh, Serling's putting this out in front of you the entire time. You just didn't pick up on it. So, yeah. um, so yeah, like it, it's, this is a good episode. It's, I mean, is it, is it the strongest? I don't know. Is it my favorite? It, no, but like there's enough, enough character work and enough, um, world building and, and immediately burning that I, that I appreciate. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love when they're able to do these post-apocalyptic stories without really showing much. Yeah. And just kind of giving you glimpses into what's going on outside of the space that our characters are living in. And I, it's Serling is so good at that. And he's so good at writing these very human stories set in ridiculous situations. Because, uh, I mean, this is ridiculous. The sun's flying into the sun. Like, it's, this is stupid. But in the premise of the episode, like, it, it works. It works fantastically, and uh, really focusing in on Norma and Mrs. Bronson really carries this episode a long way. Yeah, I mean, and, and having the you know the the fake Charles Bronson show up for water and chicken also shows you like, and then there's also that one shot of um of the outside they show like the abandoned streets and everything. Yeah, which yeah. which looks like B uh, B roll from two. <laughs> I agree, I, and maybe it is. I, I there, there's no um. <clears throat> there's no trivia about that. The trivia that you mentioned about the director turning up the heat was there. Um, the girl having the pleading face or the scary face that was there. Um, so the, the two things I want to mention one, the melting painting effect was created by doing the paintings on top of wax and then putting a uh, hot plate underneath it. So oh, okay. that's kind Pretty of simple. It, it makes sense, right? Um, yeah. And so it's, it's very simple, but very effective. Um, yeah. And then also the footage of the repairman and the cop is actually still out there. This is one of those few instances in which 
footage was shot for the Twilight Zone and not scrapped. So that's actually been shown during festivals. Like, so the footage has been brought back in, or I don't know if it's been brought back into the episode proper, but they've shown it. And so um, the cop actually gives Norma the gun. And it's one of those yeah. things that if you watch the episode, you don't really question it because she has a gun. And you realize, like, so the cop gives her the gun saying, hey, you know, protect yourself. Um, and also, if it gets too crazy, you'll know what to do. Basically saying, I'm done being a cop because there's nothing else to protect. I'm going to go away now, and if it gets to be too much, you know what you need to do, which is really dark, and it's something that I'm surprised. Um, I guess I'm surprised it was cut out, but it may, maybe it was just cut for time, but the notion that the, the story point of her getting the gun is something that I did not think about, about how she had it, is credit to uh, Serling and uh, Anton Leder, how they were able to cut the episode together. Yeah, and then the fridge repairman, from what I understand... Uh, he was fixing Mrs. Bronson's fridge and he goes to charge her a hundred bucks or something, which I don't really understand why there's a fridge repairman during the end (laughs) of the world Um, or (laughs) why he would charge money, uh, whatever, if everyone's just looting everything. But maybe that was one of the reasons I cut it out. She doesn't have the money to pay him and she goes to offer him her uh, wedding ring because if you caught, she was Mrs. Bronson in this, and he refuses, and he's like, I can't rightfully take that from you, and ends up not charging her or something. So you get that you get that glimpse back into humanity, much like we did with uh, the intruder in yeah. the episode. So I'm guessing like the desperation and the humanity was already kind of expressed a lot through the episode, so I could see why those two scenes weren't kept in, but it's also interesting that it's still out there. So I thought that was, I thought that was cool. Yeah. I'd be curious. And I know there, uh, I think it was from the nineties. Let me see if I can find the, uh, um, there's a graphic novel. No, it was in 2009, um, called the midnight sun by Mark niece and Anthony spay. I'm, I'm kind of curious to check it out. It has a, it has a pretty interesting cover artwork. So, well, and then there's also um, there's a the Hulu series. I think it was brought in from the BBC called Hard Sun. I don't know if you're. I, I watched. I started watching the first episode. I just didn't finish it because uh, clearly I'm scatterbrained. But the notion is that these uh, these two cops stumble across this information that that the world's going to be destroyed in five years. But they. But it's one of those things that you can't let the public know. And so because like the heat's increasing and, and all the stuff's going on, it's like it's I don't know if they're going into the sun. I didn't get that far into the series. But the notion is that there's scientific evidence to show that the world as they know it's going to be over within five years. And how do you control the public with that with five years lead time? Like, and it's yeah. a very it's a very interesting idea. And it's uh, uh, and there's also that film, which I don't know if you saw this. It's from um, 2012 called seeking a friend for the end of the world it has steve carell in it I can't no i it. haven't seen that one uh it doesn't deal with um like you know the heat it deals with an asteroid coming to hit the earth and in, in life as we know it um it's a comedy up until a point uh it's it's a wonderful little film it made me ball my eyes out though like just because yeah of, that's what i've heard oh. and i uh 
I don't necessarily love watching <laughs> depressing films, so I just I, it, I think that's why I put it off. But I've heard good things. Oh, it, it is it is good in the sense that like because people like have like two to three weeks, like kind of the same situation, like but like they know that 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 the odds are they're not going to make it, and so they end up kind of finding like these different subcultures of like what's going on, like how people react to it. Like there's a bit where. Um, Steve Carell sitting at like his 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 company he's working at, and someone's going through the notion like the like the, the minutes of the meeting saying, "Well, if somebody wants to be the CEO now, they certainly can." And it's like this whole thing because people are just like quitting and leaving, and like it's this whole like but business is trying to function as usual with imminent destruction. Um, but it's it's uh, it's 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 a, probably a good modern update to this idea, but it's it's but it's explored over an hour and a half or two hours of how do you treat each other and what do you do knowing that you only really have a limited time left as a people, not just a person, but just as everything. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it's a premise that you can explore. I mean, it's, I think it's something, there's a reason that this genre of like the whole post-apocalyptic thing, or uh, like you said, leading up to the end of the world or civilization breaking down. It, it's just, you can do so much with it. There's so many types of stories and everything you can tell. But this gave me a, a definitely an I am legend vibe. Yeah. Like you could tell that he was he was inspired heavily for this and two um by Matheson with that novel. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it it was good. I just um I don't ha, know. Have you ever seen sorry to cut you yeah. off, um have you ever seen the uh Last Man on Earth with Vincent Price? No, from but I mean, sixty four. But I read I, I read I Am Legend by Matheson. I don't know if you've read the book. Um, yeah, so. well, in in the movie, there's the scene where Vincent Price is in the door, and one of his friends comes back as the vampire zombie thing, and um, he's just knocking on the door, calling his name, and he just doesn't let up for like an entire night, just asking him to let him in, and it's it's kind of terrifying, and there's scenes of him just like standing against the door, if I remember correct, and um, the scene in this with them standing against the door and him just asking to come in really reminded me of that. And I, I can't remember if that's a scene, if that's straight out of the novel or not, but if it wasn't in the novel, I can definitely see that being taken from this episode and uh, being used in that movie. No, all I can remember from the novel. It's been a long time since I read it was that uh, yeah. he talks about how he had to bury his wife twice. Cause she came back yeah, yeah. and it's like that that's messed up. Like, I don't remember people harassing him, but I just remember like, just like this is a whole new world and everybody else is turning, you know? So, uh, but yeah, like this is, you say post-apocalyptic. I think this is pre-apocalyptic and it's, it, there's not as much, Yeah. Well, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, there's no, that no, kind yeah. of civilization breakdown thing. Yeah, um, no, and I, I don't, don't kind of gets lumped into that genre. Yeah. I, I just don't think there is as many stories about the imminent apocalypse as opposed, as opposed to the badass riding around in sweet cars with Mohawks after, you know, like, um, but yeah, like I just, this is, it's, it's a good episode. I just, and there's something, and maybe, I don't know, there's something, there's just something that's not complete about it. And maybe it's because of the twist. And I feel like, I feel like, again, Serling leaned into the doctor kind of ex not explaining things, but kind of being like, like the, Oh, here's what's going on. Like back to back episodes of the doctor having to step in and clean up the episode. And it's not as yeah, it's not as grievous it, as the last one. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I was gonna say at, at least this one 
had him reveal something that was actually interesting <laughs> rather than just recap what we just saw. Because he does reveal a whole nother twist in this episode. That's fair. So there is a reason for him to be there explaining it. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas the last one is just like, ah, oh, he went crazy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Imagine, you know, it's just like, uh, yeah, imagine we just watched the whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, um, I got, yeah, I got nothing else other than like the sun sucks. You know, and recording this at the, 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 this is kind of ironic because this is like one of the few nights of the summer where I'm not like dying in my office recording this episode. So I'm happy that I know it's like a nice cool 72 out. (laughs) It's been 90 the past couple of weeks. The one night and I would have, uh, wouldn't have mind being put into the episode uh, a little bit, but I'm not, I'm not complaining. Please, please don't, because I've, I've suffered through a number of episodes uh, recently, probably starting from the beginning of season three, where I, all I've done is sit here and melted, much like a painting. Yeah, as, like, <laughs> as I half the time sit here under a blanket because my air conditioning's on too, too cold. <laughs> uh, Not to rub it in. I like that we have the two extremes. Like You're, you're falling away from the sun, and I'm falling right into the sun. So, yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. Let's just uh, get to the twist. I'm going to give this a three because it was a delusion up to the point because she had a fever dream about this. And then you find out that everything's the exact opposite. I feel like this has been kind of done before where it just like flips on its head. But when you, if you ask me where I could pull that out exactly, I probably couldn't put, put a name on an episode, but I feel like this is like Serling's like, you know, arsenal of like, it's the exact opposite. Yeah, I don't know. I really enjoyed the twist in this one. Like I said, maybe it was just because I was immediately so disappointed with the introduction of the doctor (laughs) explaining that she was having a fever dream and then flipping it to the fact that they're still doomed. I wasn't necessarily expecting that. And, uh, I had a lot of fun with it, so I'm, I'm going to go with a four on okay. the twist on this one. Well, it, I feel like it's been so long since we've gotten a good twist, too, that maybe that's coloring my uh, my rating on that. And you might be right. I just because I, I like I said watched this before for prepping for the series in general, and then watch this would, going back through to get take notes and take images was my third time watching it. So it clearly the edges got knocked off with the twist for me, you know. So, but yeah. the, but, but I mean, there's no right or wrong. I just I really enjoyed uh where this episode landed and i love those depressing endings so (laughs) and i I agree but picking up on the whole like you know i have this crazy thought it's like i didn't pick up on that the first time through which as well you shouldn't because it's it's like you know you're you're being so credit to that so that's why i'm giving a three that like he told you pretty much the beginning you know it's definitely a solid uh written teleplay and yeah for sure i like i said i'd be curious to check out uh where he takes those characters further in that short story that he ended up writing later on. Yeah. And I, and I also, I'm happy that there's no correlation at all in 2018 to the earth falling into the sun. I I'm glad that we're past this point in science fiction, that the earth is not heating up exponentially that we don't have to worry about a scenario like this. I'm glad that we're past that. And that certainly, yeah, I, he was, the, I he, definitely didn't see, uh, see an article today that the oldest, uh, Arctic, uh, ice caps or whatever are starting to melt. I definitely didn't see that today. So <laughs> yeah, I definitely didn't hear a story two days ago about how different shipping companies are now considering a, a northern route because it's easier to get around. Like I didn't hear that two two days ago. How it's more cost effective to just go up around the North Pole because guess what? There's not as much ice there. So I like how business is starting to figure out a way to make money off the Earth melting. You know, <laughs> like that didn't happen. 
Like so, I, it bums me out because we just we just covered a story dealing with like the ghost of World War II, and we literally had a story this week about the ghost of World War II, and then we're doing this episode that, like, if Sterling was still around, he'd be like, "I told you," you know, like it is like <laughs> it, it's 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 haunting, right? Like so, I also heard a story today too about how syndication of television series, how the initial run of a TV series doesn't make the money it's the it's the syndication and about how like you make more money as you go along and like i feel like there are aspects of the twilight zone unfortunately they get stronger the further out you get from them you know and i feel like this I is kind of one like, of those like you want to give credit to it but unfortunately it's the best word you can use because uh, you wish that some of these themes uh did not uh play uh, play as well today yeah Right. So it's, yeah, as I sit here, yeah. you know, late August, um, you know, still sweating a little bit, but not as much as I have been, but you know, yeah. <laughs> well, I just, I just read an article, um, as I kind of teased last time heading to Hawaii, uh, chasing this hurricane here in Hawaii and, and I, um, you're chasing the Hawaiian eye. We know that. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I'm going to find one. <laughs> I'm going to find a copy of that. It, oh, they all actually got destroyed in the flood. <laughs> oh no! Like the hurricane last that was- remaining copies of Hawaiian Eye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be a bummer. Uh, yeah, but I just read an article that uh, it, Hawaii is probably going to start seeing more hurricanes just with uh, climate change and everything. I was like, oh, great. Well, then, so. the, then the wildfires out in California—they talk about how they're being supercharged because of climate change, and it's like it's. It is, um, I, I don't think Sterling could have seen this coming, you know, like he, I think this was more of like, wouldn't it be crazy if, if the, if the earth was heating up and also at the same time cooling off, which like what is going on now is actually both scenarios and, and like in terms of the extreme weather, I don't think if he would have possibly imagined that both could happen within the same 12 month cycle, you know, and that is I guess credit to him that he could not see worst case scenario and thinking that this was the most most extreme situation that would happen other than the reality of what's going on. And yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so we're all doomed and I'm glad that you guys can listen to this podcast while we're still around. You know, I don't know. (laughs) The good news is, uh, it's not happening tomorrow, but the bad news is it's happening. So. Yeah, so, so the good news is we'll probably get through all the Twilight Zone before it happens. The bad news is we don't know how much longer past that point. That's <laughs> So fans of podcasts, you're good. Fans of being around for the rest of, you know, eh, well, it's it's fine. We'll, we'll get there, right? So as long as their internet will survive. As long as there's internet and Capri Sun, we will survive. <laughs> I know where I'm going. I'm, I'm coming over to your apartment. I'm coming for those Capri Suns. I still have some, and they're worth like gold right now. It's, it's like the equivalent of Earth and Waterworld. Like, like that's really where we're at. Is that that's the currency is Capri Sun? So you know. you're just gonna hear me checking your handle, Paul. Paul. Yeah, I'd be like, I don't have time to wait around for these Capri Suns. Let me in. I hear a gun cock. Like you're like, oh no. <laughs> Oh, all right. All right. So yeah, enough of enough about the midnight sun. Kevin, I'm actually pretty sure. I'm sorry. One more. Uh, I'm actually pretty sure Capri Sun had like windsurfers and rollerblades on the front of their packs in the 90s. That is pretty cool. So I feel like the description of the rollerblader painting was just taken from a Capri Sun pack. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I think that's right. So I think you're right. So, so this episode, yeah. uh, Strange Highways, is now brought to you by Capri Sun, Capri Sun. <laughs> yeah. and Can Chicken and Oasis cigarettes. Yeah. So uh, all right, uh, how could how could people find us? Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Strange Highways Podcast. You can email us or leave us voicemails at Strange Highways Podcast at gmail dot com. And then uh, if you guys would rate and review us on iTunes, it would really help us out, get the show out to some more people. And if you have not, which I'm sure you have if you're listening to this, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Satchel, Podbean, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. We are there, and you can keep up with us that way. Yeah. All right. So next episode has no historical significance to what's going on right now. And, and by the way, next episode, by what we mean by this, we're taking a couple weeks off because, uh, as previously mentioned, Kevin is going to Hawaii uh, to chase Hawaiian eye and hurricanes and all that other good stuff. So uh, Godspeed on your trip. And I hope you guys have a wonderful delayed honeymoon. So, yep. um, yeah, should be fine. Uh, I, as we were doing this, it looks like Maui canceled their uh, flood warning. So. Sounds like things are getting better. I don't okay. know. Who knows? Just, It'll be an adventure. While you're there, <laughs> just make sure you get a bunch of canned grapefruit juice and uh, and some spam, which like we didn't talk about this on the show. Spam is a big thing in Hawaii. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. Like, I'm kind of scared all the stores are going to be sold out of it because I feel like everyone panicked and bought all the spam and water from but, the pictures I saw on Twitter. It's a, it's a popular thing there. Like, or did you know that? Like, spam is like yeah, a but deal. It, it's yeah. good survival food though. So I I literally saw on Twitter people showing the Costco on the Big Island of Hawaii, which got hit a lot harder um, than most of the islands. Um, of just empty shelves of spam <laughs> and full shelves of beer. So, <laughs> so like nobody was buying beer, um, but everyone bought all the spam and water. So do so you know? I guess I guess you need the water to wash down that salty uh, meat. <laughs> yeah. So do you know why spam is supposedly so popular in Hawaii? Here's the urban legend. Do you know this? No. Supposedly because of the native people living there, that a long time ago there was a practice of cannibalism, which is probably not accurate, and I'm probably wrong. But people say yeah, that sounds like a racist white uh, yeah, but it, it, <laughs> belief. It has, I don't it has know. to be true. I heard it one time, right? No, but supposedly the spam is the closest thing to what human tastes like, and that's why it's popular in Hawaii. That's what I've heard. I'm not saying that that's true. I'm just saying that's what I've heard. So what I'm saying is, while you're there, have some spam, and then maybe try it against some people and see how that the comparison is. I don't know. Should I ask uh, a native person <laughs> yeah, ask a native if Hawaiian. that's the reason? <laughs> Be like, hey, listen, I know you got to deal with all these Hallies over here, but come on, like, are you, is this why you like this? And then they're going to punch you square in the face and throw you in a volcano. That's going to be my guess. But yeah, that's what I've heard. Yeah. Like, I don't, I, there used to be, uh, back probably about 10 years ago, there's a company that made this product called Hofu. That was a synthetic uh, tofu-based product that was supposed to taste like human meat. Oh. And it got pulled off the market for some reason. I don't know why. I, but... like, I like that's called hofu. It should have been called like humfu. Like something, like sneak in, like almost the human word in there. That would have been amazing. Anyway. I thought you were going to say humgu from, hum, uh, humgu from, uh... <laughs> from <our> Monster Club. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So anyway, um, uh, have, have, a, uh, have a happy holly, uh, holly moon? honeymoon. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks, and we're gonna we're gonna cover the episode Still Valley at that point, and I'm gonna butcher Sterling's intro to Still Valley. So, all right, bear with me here. <clears throat> all right, here we go. Next week, not really. We've moved back in time, back to 1863. 
a distinguished actor, Mr. Gary Merrill, plays a role of a Confederate scout who goes off on a patrol and winds up smack dab in the center of the Twilight Zone. Our story is an adaptation of a strange tale by Manly Wade Wellman called The Still Valley. This one is for Civil War buffs and the students of the occult. I hope you're around to take a look at it. So I'm sure the impact of the Civil War, I, no one talks about that anymore. We didn't talk about it at all recently for the passersby. You know, there, there's there's nothing here that, that is relevant today. So I, I have not seen this episode. It deals with uh, the Confederacy and a witch and the occult. Should be fun. I thought Serling was calling Wade Wellman manly. I thought he was <laughs> describing him that. Manly but, Wade Wellman, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but his name is actually manly. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So when we, get, when we come back eventually, it'll be the Still Valley. And then, uh, yeah, hopefully it will be a little cooler then in September as opposed to now in August. Yeah. Hey, when I get back September, going full Halloween mode. Summer is done. <laughs> I will fight you until the until the twenty first. <laughs> I, I think it's somewhere the twenty first or whatever. Right when we switch to fall, yeah. I, I will fight yeah, you until so. that point. So, all right. So till then, uh, have have a safe uh, couple weeks, everybody. Uh, we'll see you on the other side, and um, uh, keep it cool. Uh, stock grapefruit juice, uh, Capri Sun. Have a loaded gun, probably not. Um, and if you're going to paint things, don't paint it on wax paper. That's probably a good tip. Yeah, just uh, remember to put sunscreen on if you're going outside. It's real important, guys.